Uh, we're going to continue, if you turn to Matthew chapter 21, uh, we are going to continue talking about the parables, and this is kind of a sister sermon, or a brother sermon, depends on how you want to look at it, to what we spoke on last week when we spoke about the two sons. Uh, you're either one or the other, folks. You're either an obedient child or a disobedient child. And uh, we, as, just to remind you, last week Jesus talking to the Pharisees and the teachers, the priests, uh, explaining to them that they're, he said, hey, look, I'll, I'll tell you a parable. He said, you tell me, what do you think? Remember, what do you think? There's two sons. One of them said, uh, the father said, go work today in my vineyard. And the first one said no. And then somewhere along the line, he changed his mind. He repented and he went and worked. And then the next one said, yes, father, I'll go. And he didn't do it. And he said, which one is, is obedient? Which one did what his father said? And it was obvious. The one that even though he was hateful at first, and repented and went and did what his father said. And Jesus told him, he said, look, the, 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 the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to enter the kingdom of heaven before you are. And he confronts them on that nature. We discussed that last week, that there is no middle of the road. You get a squish just like a grape. Remember, we talked about that. There is no decision. There's, you're either in or you're out. There's always a two-son representation. Those that are serving Christ, those that are not serving Christ. And our obedience is fruit of that obedience. So that father has two sons. And now today, Jesus is taking them further after he's told them one parable. He's now going to tell them another that's going to expound upon the fact that not only are you just being disobedient, but there's going to be a judgment that follows that disobedience. And I'm going to show you in the parable, he's saying basically, what your disobedience looks like to me. So let's look at it. Matthew 21, verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our, in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Father God, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for this opportunity to share it. God, I ask you as a, as a broken vessel just to flow through me, Lord, and convey what it is that you would have spoken to this people, this body today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have this parable. We, the characters, we have a landowner, we have a vineyard, we have tenants, we have servants, and we have a son. And the landowner obviously represents... God, that's a weak God. That was weak. Now, how many times have we been talking about landowners and vineyard owners and we said every time it always represents whom? There we go. You guys are waking up with me. 
It's like coffee, isn't it? Come in here and I wake you up. It's better than having a pastor put you to sleep, isn't it? How many of you have ever been there before? Don't put your hands up because I've seen you. I see you. Don't worry. I know who you are. The vineyard, secondly, is Israel or could be referred to as the world in general. The tenants represent the teachers of the law, the priests, the scribes and Pharisees, and could even represent mankind in general. The servants represent the prophets that were sent to Israel by God. And the son represents Jesus Christ, the son of the landowner, the heir. Now, there's a lot of things we're going to look at, but first we're going to kind of encompass the message of it. The message that Jesus was telling to these individuals is the fact that that you're not going to be ignorant about what I'm telling you. The love of God, folks, is that he doesn't want us to be ignorant. There is not going to be ignorance when we stand before God for the things that we're going to have to answer to him for. The stuff that we're going to answer to God for is not going to be, we're not going to have to deal with things that we're ignorant about. We're going to deal with the stuff that we know and we willingly have done anyway. So that you will not be ignorant. Listen, he says this, listen to another parable. Isn't God good? God is good because he's merciful enough to the point to where he's not going to just leave it at something that they're not sure. He's going to get to the root of the matter. He's going to keep knocking on your door. He's going to keep beating until it gets through your thick head. I told you about the sons, but listen, oh, something, I'm going to tell you something else. Has anybody ever pointed their finger at you and said, I'm going to tell you something else? And the older you get, the finger's more crooked. I'm going to tell you something else. You ever notice that? It's like you got to look at an angle and kind of do that with them. I'm going to tell you something else. Jesus said, listen, I've already told you that the tax collectors, I've already told you that the prostitutes, the people that you think are hopeless and worthless, are going to enter the kingdom of heaven ahead of you because they repented and heard my message. But listen, I'm going to tell you something else. God is so good, He's merciful, because He doesn't want us to be ignorant. And He's not going to pass judgment on somebody and condemn somebody to hell that's ignorant. Don't take that and run with it too far, folks. But what I want you to understand is is that he's merciful uh, to the point to where he knows he's a good judge and you're going to know good, full, and well what you're getting judged for. You're not going to stand before God someday and say, I don't know what you're talking about. You never told me that. He's going to go through great lengths. He's going to go through far and wide to great avenues for you and I to hear the truth so that we're brought to a decision. He just spoke to these individuals. He said, listen, he goes, I got something else for you to know because I have more to say to you. Remember, the reason he had more to say, remember last week when I talked about David and his situation with Bathsheba, his sin there, and Nathan the prophet went to him and did a similar type of parable where it was an obvious answer. And David had come to his attention that he had sinned greatly and he realized what he had done. His reaction, because he was a man after God's own heart, not perfect, But a man after God's own heart, pursuing God's heart, desiring God's heart, being somebody that even though they recognize their faults and failures, repentant, that's what he did. He was very penitent. He said, Lord, he said, oh, I've sinned. And God said, I've forgiven you even before you've asked. Yet these individuals hear the same type of parable, but because of the condition of their heart, Jesus says, I've got to keep telling you because it's not through with you yet. You've got to be made very clear where you're standing with me. This is how you look. This is how the condition looks of our relationship. I'm going to tell you about my vineyard. I want you to understand about my vineyard. He reveals Israel's history 
in future as well as their role in all of it so that they would not be ignorant, folks. He has no desire of us being ignorant, so he shows them the history. He shows them the contempt that their fathers had for the prophets. Listen, it's not a popular job to be a prophet, is it? If you look through the Old Testament and you read through all the prophets, you read through all of them, it's not a popular job. Nobody's real excited to be best friends with the prophet. Because the prophet brings trouble with him. The prophet brings conflict because he confronts sin. He confronts issues. So they sold Isaiah in two. They stoned Jeremiah. Most of the prophets were killed because they were obeying the Lord by people who did not want to obey the Lord. Today there's pastors that are filleted by congregations because the pastor obeys the Lord and he's trying to lead a bunch of people that don't want to obey the Lord. I'm glad it's not here. I'm just so glad. Makes me happy. The apostles, all of them, with the exception of John, were martyred. Why? It's not a popular thing to be in conflict with a rebellious people that want to do their own thing. Again, they were all martyred with the exception of John. And John, they tried to martyr him. They boiled him in oil. (laughs) you ever feel like fried chicken John felt like it I mean it's it's easy for us to chuckle about because we weren't there I'm sure it can't be good to be dipped in boiling oil and come up and saying why didn't you kill me Lord to suffer even longer it's not a popular place to be one of the servants of God can I get an amen when you are preaching truth it's easy to be filleted. It's easy to be boiled in oil. It's easy because people are stiff-necked and they, and they, they, don't, they despise. And what Jesus is telling them is saying, look, all those people that killed the prophets, you're just like them. And the difference is, is you're not only going to kill the prophets, you're going to kill the son. And you have a motivation behind all of it. This is, this is going somewhere. And I'm excited about it because there's some really cool parallels some really cool parallels in the scripture with this. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 5, if not, it's going to be on the screen. And guys, just leave them up there if, if you want. These individuals were not innocent. They were not ignorant of what they were doing. They knew who Christ was. They knew. Because the scripture said, look, here comes the heir. Let's kill him. Jesus gives us a picture. Listen, if you've been in our Wednesday night Bible study, you know this much, that the Pharisees and the priests were not ignorant that Jesus was the Messiah. They were not ignorant. They didn't kill him not knowing. They killed him because he was who he said he was, and they were going to be dethroned, and he was going to step up. They didn't want that. They wanted to rule the vineyard themselves. They wanted to do it their own way. And these were the teachers of the law. These were the priests. These were the Pharisees. These were the ones that had Scripture memorized. They knew it all. And so Jesus, with this parable, begins to speak it out very clearly. And you're going to see this as we look at it. A reference to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. You think it's a coincidence that Jesus is talking about the, the Israel and a, about a vineyard by coincidence? Or do you think maybe he's trying to get these stiff-necked, hard-headed religious people to understand where they're at? I'll tell you about my vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard 
on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vine. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now, I tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and, I, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. Neither pruned nor cultivated or briars and thorns will grow, will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress." Isaiah, in Isaiah's day, we know that Israel was taken captive. We know that because they didn't love righteousness, because they wanted to do things their own way, and because they refused to serve God, because they pursued idols of their own desire, instead of obeying the Lord, God was speaking judgment to them, saying, look, you're going to be broken down. This is going to pass away. God was driving them to repentance because they were so stiff-necked, they wouldn't repent of their sin. Listen to me, just, just kind of a side note. If you notice, there's a wall, there's a wine press, there's a watchtower. I just want to encourage anybody that's here today, if you're living inside of these walls, if you're coming to church and, and, and you're finding some comfort and you're finding some peace, if you don't know Jesus Christ, eventually those walls are going to be broken down for you. Because He wants you to know Him. You say, why do I say that? Well, there's, there's, there's another parable. I won't go into it very long, but the mustard seed, the, the mustard plant grows up and it's the biggest one in the garden and then birds of the air come and roost in its branches or nest or find shelter in its branches. Listen, it's, it's a fact that in the kingdom of heaven right now, there are people in churches that will come and find roosting and nest in the branches of this house because they feel like I've come in and I've done my duty and I'm under this roof and I'm here and preaching and I leave and I'm not having to worry about people hounding me all the time about being at church. Or what are people going to think about me with this and that? Listen, it's not about that, folks. Eventually, these walls are going to be broke down. There's going to be a day of judgment coming. Where will you be standing with Jesus Christ? Because this comfort, this wall, this protection only lasts for a season. Only lasts for a season. Well, back to our parable. Jesus was speaking to these Pharisees and he makes a reference talking about a vineyard with a wall, a vineyard with a, a, vineyard with a, 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 what is it, a wine thing? To make wine, wine press. There we go, I got it. And with a watchtower... And these individuals know the scripture, so immediately they know they're talk he's talking about judgment. The only difference is, is that in, in Isaiah's parable, Isaiah's song, there wasn't a reference for anybody being at fault. But in Jesus' words, he's saying, I'm going to hold you accountable for all of this. That's a frightening place to be, and we're going to see why in here in just a minute. They were not ignorant, so that they would not be ignorant. Jesus shows them how they have mishandled what has been entrusted to them. Now this, this part... I want us to pay close attention. Not that you don't normally pay close attention. Sometimes we just say that to say a breath and think because we don't know what we're going to say. I'm just kidding, folks. I'm just getting your attention right now. It's a youth ministry tactic. You talk randomly and people go, what's he saying? Huh? What, 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 what? It's pretty cool. Anyway, in the vineyard, if you look, there's a wall, there's a wine press, and there's a watchtower. The vineyard represents... Israel. The vineyard represents the world, could be both. There's a wall, there's a wine press, and a watchtower. Keep that in your mind. First of all, there's a wall. 
Now, in Isaiah's song, it says that the individual came and he cleared the fertile ground of the stones and the rocks. Now, in that area, it's very rocky. What do they do when they clean the ground of the stones and the rocks? They build a wall. They put a wall around the vineyard. The wall is for protection. Now, what does the wall protect us from? The wall protects us from little foxes that come in and spoil the vine. The wall protects us from natural things. The wall protects us from things that come in on the outside at nighttime when nobody's paying attention, squeezes through a crevice, comes in and starts eating the grapes. The wall protects us from deer. (laughs) Stinking deer. I haven't hit one yet this year, but I'm sure I will before the year's over with. Anyway, it protects us from natural things. What does the wall represent? The wall of God's vineyard. It's the responsibility of the tenants to make sure the wall is kept up. Now, what is the wall? The wall is separation for protection. Now, what I am not saying is that we as a church need to take all of our children and go build ourselves a little convent somewhere with walls around it and not let anybody see the outside because last time I checked, we are called to be salt and light of the earth. Amen? We are supposed to be in the world but not of the world. I understand that. You understand that. We know that and I understand it. We all know it. We get it, right? But if we are a leader, if you are a pastor, if you're a preacher, if you're a teacher, if you are an apostle, whatever it is, if you are a deacon, you have a responsibility to make sure there is a wall of separation between those that God has entrusted to you and the world. A wall of holiness, a wall of, of, of righteousness. These individuals should have been great at building walls. What types of things is a wall of holiness important for us to guard against? Natural things. Things that creep in naturally. Like what? Like anger. Like, like lying. Like, like adultery or lusts. Things like um, uh, gossip and slander. Natural things that creep in unaware. Things that we look up one day and we go, wow, where'd that come from? God wants us to build up a wall of separation for holiness. Why is it responsible for the tenants to make sure that the wall is maintained? The wall needs to be maintained because he also built a wine press for the purpose of bearing fruit. Today there are pastors that refuse to deal with issues and they refuse to build a wall of separation. And because of it, they're not bearing fruit. People in our personal lives, in our own vineyard, folks, we need to have a wall of separation so that the stuff doesn't come in. Doesn't need to be in there. Why? Because the master that has entrusted me with this life, my family, this church, desires to see fruit because he put a wine press in it. There's a wine press in here, folks. God wants to bear fruit in this vineyard. Amen? And in the vineyard of Israel, it wasn't happening. They had false rules of righteousness. They had some rules of righteousness, but outward righteousness, but they didn't have truth. They didn't have the righteousness that changes lives. They, they didn't love God and obey His commandments. They had washings. I hope we all do it after we use the restroom. But that's not what makes us saved. Is it? Every time I go to the nursing home, I look for those things. Hospital. Sorry, folks, I don't care if I visit you in the hospital. I pray with you, I touch you, I love on you, and then when I go out, I go... <laughs> but that's not what saves me, is it? I ought to have enough faith in my prayer note that little germy things aren't going to get me. The second thing we see is a watchtower. 
We've got, we've got a wall, we've got a wine press, we've got a watchtower. What's the watchtower for? The watchtower is there to defend against things that are smart enough to climb over the wall. Which would be what? A thief. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy is a thief. And God said, look, tenants, I entrusted you with my vineyard to bring forth fruit. You're letting things in from the outside to destroy it. And now you've joined forces with the enemy. Should have been watching. They were watching, folks. You know what they were watching for? They were watching for the Messiah so they could kill him. You see, a tower is for two purposes. That tower is for one purpose, is to protect against the enemy. And the other purpose for it, secondly, is, is to also watch for when the landowner would come so he could be greeted properly and honored. They took what God gave them and used it as dishonor toward him. Have you ever been stolen from before? <sighs> Thieves. It was, it was Thanksgiving, 1996. I was building my home. Just got it closed in. Thought, hey, we're finally closed in. Nothing can stop us now. Nothing. And uh, somebody backed a little bitty truck through a giant mud puddle. Oh, it would have been wonderful if they'd have got stuck. It would have been tremendously wonderful. But they made it out. They backed in. They stole my central vac system, a bunch of tools. Uh, and then they took some installation and covered it all up and drove off. But what made me mad was the fact that they urinated on my living room floor. You see, it's not, it's not just about the stuff, folks. It's the whole principle of the matter. It's the fact that these individuals came and they helped, my, helped themselves and, and, and I was violated. How do you think God feels when people come in and try to take over and rule His kingdom? Urinate on His living room floor. Do whatever I want with you, what you've given me, God, because you've given it to me and I can do whatever I want. Listen, it is not how it's supposed to go. So what they did is, is they joined themselves. If you turn with me to 1 Kings 21, we're going to see another parallel of this before we're done here in just a few minutes. We see, we see what these individuals did is they joined forces with the enemy. Now, before we get into this, we've got to understand something that we talked about last week. There's two options. You're either serving Christ or you're not serving Christ. It's that simple. You're either a son of obedience or you're, you're not a son of obedience. That's what we are, okay? We either serve Him or we don't serve Him. There's no options. There's no in-between. There's no back and forth. We either are or we are not serving Him. Like a bird that is designed to make nests. Have you ever tried to make a bird's nest before? I, we had a, a project at school to make a bird's nest one time. It was an awful failure. But anyway, you would think something with a little head this big, and, and somebody says, you're bird-brained. Anybody ever call you bird-brained before? I've been called bird-brained before. A bird can build a nest, and I can't even build a nest, so I guess I'm not even bird-brained. It's one of those natural things that's inside of an animal. It's just like a bear understanding hibernation and how to prepare himself for hibernation to go and sleep all winter long, which would be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? but we can't do that. Anyway, it's like that. You know what is inside of us that cannot be changed, that's been placed there by God? Very simple. No man can serve two masters. He either loves one or hates the other. 
It's inside of you and me. It can't be changed. You can try to serve both all you want to. You're going to be miserable. You're going to end up loving one and you're going to hate the other. There is no in or out. And what these individuals did is they tried to look like they were serving God and yet they served the other master. They hated God even though they had His name. I'm His priest. I'm His Pharisee. I'm His separatist. I'm His this. But in reality, they were joining forces with the enemy. You cannot serve two masters. You and I cannot. So here's what they did. Let's look at this. 1 Kings 21. We see another example in the Old Testament of a vineyard. This is so good. Verse 1. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard. Imagine that. We're talking about vineyards today. Belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the place of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry, because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. Now we're going to look at a picture here, quickly, uh, an example of what's taking place. Jesus is telling them, he said, look, I've sent servants to you, and now they're sending the son, and you're going to kill the son. Let's look at this also. Everything that has happened, it's happened before in Scripture, and Jesus brings it to light, even in this parable. Even though he didn't directly say it, we must understand that these men know what's going on. Look at it real closely with me. Ahab, who was an evil king, an evil ruler. Everybody say evil ruler. He was an evil ruler with evil intent. He comes to Naboth, a righteous man, and he says, Look, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it's so close to where I live. Isn't that the heart and the mind, the attitude of the enemy? It's convenient for me. This is my land. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm supposed to be. Why don't you let me have... What is your inheritance? I have different plans for it. It's a vineyard for you, but I'm going to make it a vegetable garden. Isn't that the mindset and the attitude that these Pharisees had with with Jesus? He said, I want to take something, yeah, that bears fruit, but I want it to bear my own fruit. I want it to do my own thing my own way. And he said, look, I'm going to offer you something even better. Isn't that how the enemy works? Give me your virginity, sweetheart, and I'll offer you special love. Give me this. Give up something that you can only give up once and I promise you, I'll give you something even better. That is not the mindset. That's not how it's going to work. Because Naboth was a righteous man, he looked at him and he said, I'm not going to give you the inheritance of my fathers. Uh, Naboth, a symbol of Christ, looks at him and says, no, you're not going to have the portion that is God's people. You're not going to have his inheritance. I'm going to guard it. I'm going to protect it. Jesus refused to give away that which was the inheritance of God. He came instead and died for it. Verse 5. His wife, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, came in and asked him, Why are you so sullen? Why don't you eat? He answered her, Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, Is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters to Ahab's name. Listen real close, folks. (laughs) Placed his seal on them and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting, and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him, and have them testify that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. 
So the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written to them. Everybody say nobles and elders. The nobles and elders, they proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff to look at. We'll stop there for a minute. But does that story sound familiar? Yes. Seat him in a prominent place. Jesus riding into Jerusalem yep. on a colt. And everybody's singing what? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. They're singing praise to him. He's, even though he was humble, it's a place of honor, a place of respect. They're expecting to make him their Messiah. And they're singing praise and worship to him. And then all of a sudden he gets in there and there's a couple of scoundrels. Didn't they raise up two scoundrels to, to speak something false against Christ because he was righteous? There was two scoundrels for Naboth. He was a righteous man. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. So they found two scoundrels, two liars that would join themselves with the enemy that saw what they wanted and wanted to take. And so they lied against him. And then they said, take him out and stone him outside of the city. Jesus was taken outside of the city and nailed to a wooden cross for your sin and my sin between two scoundrels, one of which repented and the other remained in his disobedience. Are we seeing the picture? Jesus didn't just pick a vineyard by random, folks. He didn't use a vineyard as an example by random account. He used the vineyard as an example for them to understand and to see that they've got the mind of Ahab. They joined with the enemy. They joined with, with Jezebel, with Satan, with an antichrist mindset that says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to make it my own and I'm going to look at that heir and I'm going to kill him. And if we can just get rid of the heir, then nobody can tell us what to do. Listen to me, church people. It's a dangerous place to be, to be self-righteous enough to say this is my church. My church. Pastor Bob, you're the pastor, yeah, First Assembly, that's my church. And I don't, I don't mean we got to be crazy about words, but there's been several times I've said that and the Spirit of God would poke me in the middle of a conversation and say, it ain't your church, it's my church. Lord, you know what I mean. I know, but I'm just reminding you. Just in case there's any kind of a motive inside of you, Bob, just reminding you. How many churches have been destroyed by deacons saying, preacher? And I don't know why they always call him preacher, but they do. Preacher? This is, this is our church, not yours. This is how we do things around here, preacher. Thank God it's never happened in any boardroom here that I've been in. But it's happened in many of them. Sunday school teachers, preacher, this is my class, and you aren't going to tell me what to do with it. Listen, it's, it's dangerous because this is God's vineyard. This, these Sunday school classes, Genesis Kids Church, uh, youth ministry in here, in our Wednesday night ministries, all through the church. Listen, folks, it's, it's God's vineyard. It's true. And when we start taking ownership of it, we're trying to kill the air and do our own thing. It's a dangerous place to be. Amen? Amen? Good, just make sure we're on the same team. 
because sometimes it's scary. They joined forces with Ahab to take ownership. Let's finish this off, 17 through 19. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. Samaria. He is now in, in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Stay in the symbolism that we're talking about here, folks. These individuals were not ignorant of what they were doing. And in Elijah, Scripture says, Elijah will return and restore all things. Restore the heart of the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father. Remember, am I, am I in the book with that? He comes, he's going to say, hey, this is what the Lord says. And then following that is the judgment. It's what's happening right here. Jesus intentionally, he did not do it accidentally to speak of a vineyard so that they would understand that if they join forces with the enemy, you will suffer the same fate as the enemy. Let me back up. Let me say it again. I'm just going to say it again, Lord. So that what he's saying is, I had, to, I had to do a rewind and go back. If you join forces with the enemy, you're going to suffer the same fate as the enemy. It says, look, right here where his blood was shed, your blood's going to do the same thing. Yeah. It's judgment, folks. It's judgment. It's judgment against these teachers of the law that wanted to steal what God had entrusted to them. Amen. Do you know it's possible to love your position more than you love your God that gave it to you? It's a dangerous place to be. Just saying. Is it not? You know what that's saying to me? It's telling me this. Hell was not created for you and I. Hear what I just said. Hell was not created for you and I. Why did Jesus speak about hell so much? Because it wasn't created for us. It was created for the enemy. It was, it was created for angels that knew better. It was created for angels that saw Him face to face. It was created for angels that said, I don't care who you are. I'm going to go do my own thing. And they went and did their own thing. And now they're trying to steal His vineyard. And we listen to that voice of Jezebel telling us, Oh, don't worry. I'll get it for you. I'll get it for you. I'll give you whatever you want. I heard this boy singing. I call him a boy. I don't know how old he is. I, I was just in a store at Justice. This is a store, a little bitty store for teenage girls. And it's this big. Went in there to buy a gift for my niece. And when you're this big and the rows are this big, you hate the store. Just saying. But I always feel guilty, so I kind of slide in and I find a spot. And then four mothers are trying to get to this spot. So you kind of say, excuse me, and slide through this way. So you go to the far corner. But anyway, I'm in Justice and there's this song. One of the songs that, you know, our little Disney people put out and all of our little children our teenagers love one of these songs and this guy keeps mouthing over and over and over he says and some of you probably heard i don't even know who did it he said i don't want to go to heaven if i can't get in in other words if you listen to the song really good he says over and over and over and over that if i'm not good enough and somebody's looking at my life he says i just want to live my life my way and if all you're going to do basically is look at me and judge me if that's what's heaven's like if that's what heaven's like i don't want to go in We're feeding the agenda of the enemy into our children's minds. Amen. The mentality of Ahab that says, says, you want the vineyard, don't worry, I'll find you a way to get it. Just do whatever you want. It's okay, you don't have to listen to that nonsense. And my friends, you and I have all been there. We've been there. We've, I, I know the stuff I've done in my life. I, the stuff we've dealt with in our lives. 
It doesn't have to be that way. But when we join forces with the enemy that's trying to kill the heir, we're going to suffer the same judgment that they are going to suffer. It doesn't have to happen that way. So what do we do? Last couple thoughts. I need to hurry because I'm going long. If anyone wants to come, that'll at least give them comfort that we're about to finish. Don't you love me? You better because I love you. Love you so much. You're so cute. Sleeping in your pew. Aren't little, aren't little kids adorable when they're asleep? Listen to this. Closing thoughts. Because I know we don't have any of these people in our room. I know that. First Timothy 3.6 says this about a person that would desire to be an overseer. What, how, do, how do we guard ourselves to make sure that we don't end up in the same position that the Pharisees are in? That's the angle I'm taking it at this morning. I'm not beating you over the head saying you're all a bunch of Pharisees. How do we protect ourselves from becoming like that? Because all of us know that we're capable, aren't we? <laughs> Is it just me? We're all capable. But listen, 1 Timothy 3.6 says about somebody that desires to be an overseer, to have that responsibility to oversee a vineyard. It says he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. In other words, you've got to be able to maintain your personal vineyard before you can maintain the vineyard of God. You've got to be able to maintain your personal vineyard before you can maintain the vineyard of God. You say, what's a personal vineyard? Proverbs 24, listen to this, verse 30 through 34 to be on the screen. I went past the field of the sluggard, the lazy man, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere, the ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and, and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. Each one of us has been given a life we've been entrusted to look over. And as parents you have the responsibility of other lives to look over amen? amen what's your vineyard look like is there a wall of separation is there is there enough of a division there that when something does creep in it's obvious or are we like the lazy man that his wall was broke down he didn't maintain his separation from the world he didn't maintain his holiness and folks listen righteousness and holiness is, is a dependency upon us it does take maintenance it does. It does take constant check and balance. Am I in the word here? Am I in the word there? Am I defying God? Do I have an attitude with God? And we need to guard ourselves because if we don't, everything from the outside will come in and it'll be natural. There'll be weeds coming up. And if the walls broke down and there's weeds in the garden, then you know that nobody's been in the tower watching for anything. Laziness. What parents, what are, just like that song I walked into, April shopping and me being all super spiritual, but it's really because I wasn't interested in the clothes. I said, did you hear what that song saying? She's like, what? Look at that. Isn't that cute? Yes. Did you hear what that song saying? She's like, no. I said, just stop and listen. I stood there and listened for a minute. She goes, that's awful. I said, you ought to hear the whole thing. Why? Because it's easy for us to just turn on the TV, buy the CD, whatever, go in your room and listen to it, get on the computer. Here's the computer. Just leave me alone. Listen, we need to have a wall that we've got established so our kids know what that wall is. 
You will not disrespect. You will not talk about your friends. You will not slander. You will not gossip. What, what do we understand? We've got to make sure the wall's maintained and we've got to watch out for the enemy who's come to steal and to kill and destroy. God has established your life to bear fruit. He's put a wall in it. He's put understanding of separation. He's put a watchtower in it. He's put a mind in your brain to see when the enemy's coming. And also a mind to see where the Lord is to honor Him. Jesus said unto them, Have you never read in the Scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Wherefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because of the people held that he was a prophet. Would you stand with me this morning? Truth had been revealed. Truth had been spoken. And truth will be spoken to these individuals many, many times through the Scriptures. And they were left with a choice. Am I serving God or am I not serving God? Am I facing this judgment? Am I looking toward judgment? The only reason Jesus mentions judgment is so that you might respond to His mercy today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the opportunity. Today is the time. And he said, look, you've got two options. Again, how many? Two. Two options. You can either fall on the stone and be broken, or you can have, be, have the stone fall on you and be crushed. Brokenness is repentance. Brokenness is falling upon him and saying, Lord, forgive me. I'm a wretched sinner. I realize that I've joined heirs with the enemy. I realize I tried to steal my life for myself instead of letting it be yours and bringing fruit forth for you. And the person that gets crushed is the person that says, Lord, I don't care. I'm going to live it my own way. I don't want to go to heaven if I can't get in. I don't want to go to heaven if I'm not good enough the way I am. And that rock is going to fall on that individual and crush them. Judgment. Two options, folks. That's, that's all it is, just two options. Where are you at with Christ? Do you need Jesus Christ? You bow your heads with me.